You are listening to Agent Court Church's audio podcast. For more information on Agent Court Church, including service times, how to connect, and campus locations, please visit our website at onechurch.to. Hey, welcome to the last week of the Goliath's Must Fall series. And Pastor Keith and I have, over these last five weeks, we've been talking about and taking us all back as a church community to an ancient story. A story that even in culture, if nobody understands anything about the Bible, they probably heard the story of David and Goliath. Takes place in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Takes place in the setting of the Valley of Elah. Now what was different though is, Pastor Keith and I have encouraged you not to identify so much with Goliath, for sure, and not even with David, but to find ourselves in the story in the brothers of David and the armies of Israel, those who were bystanders, who were frozen by the giant of fear, who were shaped by the giant of rejection, who were even uh, uh, influenced by the giant of anger. And over the last number of weeks, we've been talking about those giants so those giants can fall. As we head into 2018, uninhibited by just the fear and the anger and the rejection that can shape us and make us live lives that are less than what God has for us. Today, the final giant. The giant of comfort. Oh, that doesn't sound particularly dangerous when stacked up next to the giant of anger and fear and rejection. But this may be the sneakiest of all the giants. This is a subtle, sneaky giant that actually leads people who are followers of Jesus to live very anemic lives. Lives where they don't utilize their talents, their resources, not even the gospel. But instead, many of those things get wasted as we come under the influence of the giant of comfort. But, you know, as you read the Bible, you discover, as I have, And you will discover the same thing. God doesn't call us to a comfortable life. He calls us to a faithful life. And they're two different things. They look very different. God's goal in our lives, maybe you need to hear this, in my life, in your life, God's goal for our church here, God's goal for this city and this world is transformation. It is to be changed from the inside out, to reflect the glory of God to all of creation. And transformation and comfortable don't go together. They're seldom compatible. A life that is transformed and a life that is comfortable are seldom compatible in this world. Let me illustrate it. So if you've been a part of this church for any length of time, you know that I'm from the east coast of Canada. I grew up in the ocean there. That meant we ate a lot of seafood. It just came with the territory. Occasionally, we got to eat a lobster. How many like lobster here? Okay, a lot of hands going up. That's great. You know know what's interesting? My dad would tell us stories when he was a boy. He grew up in the, he was born in 1932. It's his birthday today. Wow, got to call dad. he grew up and he was saying that lobster in that day, you could tell the difference between who were rich kids and poor kids at school. Because the rich kids came with peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, poor kids came with lobster sandwiches. <laughs> Farmers in that day would fertilize their fields with lobster because it was kind of the rat of the ocean, sat in the bottom of the thing. So it wasn't a delicacy. Things have changed though, haven't they? Actually, I brought Larry here to help me out this morning. Come here, Larry. Come here. Come here. There you go. There you go. 
Here's, oh, isn't he cute? Is there anything uglier than a lobster? <laughs> I had a guy Saturday night said, I thought lobsters were orange. <laughs> I said, only when they're cooked. <laughs> only when they're cooked. <laughs> this is Larry. And it, I, I took the bands off his, his pinchers and everything else. And, ow, no. <laughs> you know what's interesting about a lobster? Have you ever stopped to think, how do lobsters grow? A lobster is a soft, mushy animal. Very soft in a rigid, hard shell. Very hard shell. How do they grow? Well, here's how lobsters grow. They begin to feel pressure. And they feel very uncomfortable because the rigid shell, as they grow inside of it, becomes too small and constraining for them. So you can look this up on YouTube, fascinating videos. The lobster will go and hide in the crevice of a rock so predators can't get it. And there, it sheds its shell. And it stays there for a few days as a new shell begins to form around it. A lobster will do this many times over the course of its life. It will shed the shell, and it will get a new one. The stimulus for growth of a lobster is being uncomfortable. Friends, we grow the same way spiritually. We grow when we are precisely in the rock and the hard place. When we begin to feel stressed or uncomfortable in life, that signals an opportunity for growth. Now, it never feels like an opportunity in the moment, does it? Maybe you're here and you're living in discomfort right now. It's a stress-filled life right now. You didn't sign up for that. But these are the moments where we have great potential to grow. But the giant of comfort he doesn't want you to grow. So he wants you to seek comfort, not transformation. And they're two different things. Two th different things altogether. And you know, you'll forgive us if you're here today and you're thinking, well, of course that's the way. Listen, in life, the giant of comfort is so subtle, so sneaky, because we all want comfort. We build safe environments for our family. We build a nest egg to feel a little security financially. We want church the way we like church because we feel more comfortable, right? We like things and we like to control the comfort levels around us. But friends, none of those things that I just mentioned are particularly dangerous in themselves. But when they dominate us, when we give in and we live in the shadow of the giant of comfort. When we fall under the spell of the giant of comfort, they become particularly dangerous. So let's do a little self-diagnostic. How are you doing when it comes to the comfort of giant, or the giant of comfort? Some of us, you've never even maybe thought of this before, but there's two ways you can tell whether or not you're under the influence of the giant of comfort. <laughs> the other one requires a breathalyzer, but that's a different story. Here, here's the first one is this. Go with the, thinking through, through your life right now, think about what you worry about right now. Because when you're under the influence of the giant of comfort, you worry about the wrong things and you don't concern yourself about the right things. See, Jesus taught us in the Bible, there are some things you shouldn't worry about. He said, don't worry about tomorrow. Uh, don't worry about your future. You ever been there? Yeah, of course you have. He said, don't worry, though, for daily provision. I'll take care of you. You put me first, I got your back. That's what God says. And over and over, many people in this room could raise their hand and say, God, 
yeah, God came through. God came through. Put me first, I'll take care of you. Put me first. So there are many things Jesus says don't worry about, but if we are living under the influence of the giant of comfort, those are precisely the things we worry about all the time. And we don't concern ourselves with the things that God says we should be concerned about. He would say things like this. He says that, Jesus says that in another portion of Scripture. He says, why are you afraid of man who can only kill your body? Fear God. You can take your soul. Be concerned about God, your relationship with God. Be concerned about the mission that God has assigned to everyone who's a follower of Jesus. So one way you can tell whether the giant of comfort is in your life and controlling your life is you have to examine what do you worry about. The other one is what angers you. When you're under the influence of the giant of comfort, the wrong things anger you and the right things don't. So the things that anger us when we're under the influence of the giant of comfort are preferences, temporary things, small things in the light of eternity. And they bother us, and they anger us. And Pastor Keith, you should go back and listen to his message on that if, if that's an issue in your life. But here's what, how I can tell often when, the, when the, uh, the giant of comfort is really controlling my life is I don't get angry about the right things. I don't get angry about my own sin. Now, I minimize that. I make that okay. I don't get angry that there are billions of people facing a crisis eternity. I don't do much about it. The, the right things don't anger me. The wrong things anger me. This is what the giant of comfort does. He lures you into a life of living small, and he puts the, your, your, your attention on things that Jesus said, hey, don't worry about these things. Don't be afraid about these things. Don't get angry about these things. But they're precisely what we lean into. Here's the truth, and this is what makes the, the, the giant of comfort so scary. He's so subtle. But the giant of comfort causes us, this is what he does, to miss the very best because we end up settling for something good enough or even something less. We end up settling for something so much smaller than God has for us. But when the giant of comfort's at work, he's moving us away from the very best to settle for Second best. And this brings us to a truth that's going to kind of go right through the whole message this morning, right to the end. And it's this truth that if you read the Bible, you see it over and over in anyone that is significant in Scripture. Anyone of great faith, this is the truth. That faith thrives in holy discomfort. Some of you are not so glad you came this morning. Don't worry. It gets better. Can we say this out loud together? Faith thrives in holy discomfort. Friends, you and I grow spiritually just like Larry the lobster. It's precisely in those difficult, uncomfortable, even stressful moments that we have the opportunity to shed our rigidity, to shed some small thinking, some small faith, some small mindsets, and grow. Those are the moments. The, the giant of comfort will always try to save you from those growth moments. Will always try to distract you with materialism or rituals and traditions and religion or relationships. He'll try to distract you with comfort. Hey, you don't need to go through it. I got something to medicate you through it. 
because he doesn't want you to grow. See, but the Bible says, and you know that, many of you know this because many of you have uh, read the Bible many times over the course of your life. You can see over and over in the Bible, are we not challenged? The Bible will say things like this, fight the good fight. I don't want to fight, I want to relax. <laughs> He'll say, the Bible will say things like this, run the race. I'm looking for the hot tub, thanks. <laughs> or the Bible will say over and over to contend for things of eternal significance. I mean, it's challenging over and over. God is calling us to lives of significance. God is calling us to lives of influence. He's calling us to lives of opportunities. I'm talking about walking in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake and stepping out in obedience. That's the life that God calls us into. And in our story in 1 uh, Samuel chapter 17, we can see firsthand how comfort undermines the armies of Israel and David's brothers. Remember the story? Forty days this giant comes out and he taunts them. Forty days he calls down the God of Israel. He taunts the God of Israel. He taunts the armies of Israel. Forty days he does this over and over. And for 40 days, David's brothers get on their armor and weapons and all the armies of Israel, and they come right to the line, and they look at this giant in the valley, and he's yelling at them, come on. And for 40 days, they say, nope, not gonna, not doing it. Let's go have lunch. Let's go back to our tents where it's safe. They chose their comfort over discomfort for 40 straight days. Uh, and friends, we can act the same. I mean, we have churches all over the world that are like mini armies in their camps and their tents. And we're taunted by maybe some of the giants and culture and society and others. And often, if we're not careful, we retreat back to rituals and traditions that make us feel comfortable, into small areas or materialism or whatever it is that comforts us in the middle of whatever we're feeling pinched by. We can do the same thing. What we can miss in the story of David, though, is David shows up and he does in 40 minutes what his brothers failed to do in 40 days. He shows up and he hears this giant and he doesn't even think about his own comfort. He says, this is nuts. What has happened here? And he walks towards the giant. We know the story, right? Here's the truth about David's faith. David's faith, and you can see it long before the Valley of Elah, his faith always thrived in places of holy discomfort. See, he was a shepherd boy and confronting a lion, a bear, and the loneliness and the boredom that was all entailed and all of that. In those places of holy discomfort, he grew. He was like Larry the Lobster, hiding himself in the cleft of God, allowing the shell to come off, and nobody knew he had grown that much until he showed up that day. Even his brothers didn't believe in him. They had no idea that David was not a 16-year-old. He may have looked like just a diminutive 16-year-old boy, but inside of him was a giant man of faith that had been formed in places of holy discomfort. And the fact is, places of faith are seldom comfortable. Uh, they're seldom comfortable. The fact is, friends, honestly, we do everything we can in our lives not to have to live a life of faith. 
Maybe, let me stop saying that about you. I live, I do everything I can to limit my need to have to live by faith, right? See, why do we do it? And why are places of faith so uncomfortable? Well, we mistakenly sometimes think that the opposite of faith is doubt, right? If faith is to believe in something, then the opposite of it is to doubt something. But that's not the opposite of faith. The opposite of faith is certainty. See, if you're certain of something, you don't need faith, do you? Like, is there going to be a service at 1115 at Agent Corp Pentecostal Church? Friends, none of you need faith for that right now. You're here. You can be certain there is a service at that time because you're here in this gathering. Because faith is a substance of things or uh, uh, when, what we fill the void between what we can't see, but we believe. And in this moment of certainty, friends, let's admit, all of us want to live lives of certainty. That's why even when we want God to direct our lives, we're looking for flashing green lights. Like, God, speak to me. Make it so plain I could never miss it. Make it so I don't have to trust you. Make it so that I don't have to live a life that I have to be led by you. Instead, just point me in the right direction. Tell me what to do. Make it very plain. I can't distinguish. I can't think it's the pizza last night. I know God spoke to me, and then I'll do it. Because we love certainty. But friends, God's not called us to a life of comfort. And comfort is, if we want certainty, that's where we'll begin to seek comfort in what we do know and what we can control what we can control in life. But we don't live lives of faith and certainty and comfort. We we live lives of faith and transformation. We trust in God. See, the problem with comfort, listen, we all want it. There's not one of us that doesn't want it. And I'll get to the fact that it says in the Bible in a few minutes that he is the God of all comfort. I'll get to that in a moment. But the reason why with comfort why it's so dangerous in our life is we fail to distinguish that the entire gospel is about discomfort. It's right at the core of it. Who's discomfort? Jesus' discomfort. The gospel is about Jesus becoming very uncomfortable. In fact, if you, if you think about it, really, we are alive because of Jesus' discomfort. You and I are alive in our spirits and lives precisely because Jesus was willing to become uncomfortable. You know, it's so dangerous over time when you read the stories of Jesus just to see the comfy sides of Jesus, and we fail to see that he was dangerous. The people who crucified him didn't think he was comfy. He was disturbing. Uh, he He made them feel uncomfortable at times. He challenged them at times. See, sometimes as people of faith, if we're not careful, we can sing songs about Jesus being uncomfortable and then try to live lives that are just comfortable. It's tough, but that's the truth. That's that's in me, it's likely in you, but it's in all of us. Now, here's why this is really important. The Apostle Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, he wrote these series of letters to churches and he, and he teaches them. And over and over, he'll say to these churches that we as followers of Jesus are to not identify with our neighbor and what they have or what they don't have, but we're to identify with Christ. He says it this way in Galatia. 
to the church in Galatia, he says, I, meaning Paul, have been crucified with Christ. That doesn't sound very comfortable. That's way down the list in comfort. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Christ is my leader. Christ is my source. The life I now live in the body, I live by, whoa, I want certainty, but I now live by faith. In who? In the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I mean, friends, get this and think about this. Think of the richness of what we're just being shown here. We live this at times uncomfortable lives. And we grow in these moments. We're not people that are just led by our own agenda and plan. We walk by faith. Faith in who? In the Son of God. And I love this. Who loves you. You could put in there, who wants the best for you. Who has already predetermined plans for you. And gave himself for me. I mean, it is beautiful what he calls us into, but the fact is, and this is where sometimes maybe people who even attended church for decades, they stall in their growth because every time they get uncomfortable, they seek comfort instead of leaning into Christ. Faith thrives in discomfort. The aim of our lives is transformation, not comfort. So uh, at the end of last year, uh, last year I read this book. It's called Life's Great Dare. Um, I brought a bunch into the resource center, but I'll tell you a little bit more about it. The author is a woman named Krista Hesslink, and she lives in the GTA area. And I had a chance to sit down with her after I read this. I mean, she had, she had gone through cancer in her 20s. She had lost her brother who was tragically killed. It's an incredible story of faith. And just how God helped her to live life forward to the fullest, to the abundant life that God calls us to. Here's a little snippet of an interview that I had with her this last year. We, we all feel like we're in a certain place and we don't necessarily want to be here. We want to be over there. We mm-hmm. feel stuck. And that movement to change our form is called transformation. Right. And I think that God is in the business of transforming us from this place of stuckness to this place of being more open and more free. But... But for me, if, if you're like me, um, being closed often means being holding on tightly to things that um, bring us a sense of satisfaction, yeah. bring us a sense of security, bring us a sense of significance. Comfort. Comfort. That's yeah. right. We're kind of addicted to being comfortable. Right. We don't like to change when we feel like we have ourselves locked in on the things that bring us this security, this satisfaction, this significance. And... Being interested in those things, I don't think is bad at all. Um, I think they're really great things that we should feel like we should be secure, be satisfied, and have a sense of significance. But oftentimes we cling to things that are really not in our best interest. They actually go sideways. So here's an example. We want to work really, really hard, but often we work really hard because we're just trying to keep loneliness at bay. Right. Or we want to have nice things and we're, you know, we want to go and, sh- and shop, but we sometimes shop because we're trying to get our sense of worthiness. 
or we walk into a room with a sense of confidence, but sometimes confidence can feel like overbearingness. And we mm. do that because we want to have a sense of control. Mm -hmm. And it's like we're grabbing onto things and we've closed our grip on these things because we're so scared of feeling those feelings of unworthiness or loneliness or out of controlness. And I think that the invitation is to let go and to open up, not close, but open. But when we open, we're letting these things go and it feels like we're losing oh, wow. the very life that we're clinging to. It feels like death. Right. Right? And so when Jesus says you've got to lose your life to save it, it does literally feel like you're losing the life that you are holding on to. So I know in my life, I, I know that feeling of vulnerability when I say, okay, I'm going to let go of, of working too hard. So it means I'm going to feel the sense of loneliness. Right. Or I'm going to let go of buying my way out of feeling worthy or enough or, or good or beautiful right. or whatever it is. Right. And, and we have a whole laundry list of things that we hold onto so tightly. So, so that's, I think, why we stay so closed because it does bring us this sense of, of satisfaction and security and significance that we're longing for. But it, it's always sort of counterfeit. It's not really the, the true place of security and significance and satisfaction. Friends, what's standing between you and transformation? It's probably likely different for each of us in this room. What do we hold on to to comfort ourselves so we don't have to find ourselves in a place where we're going to grow, where we have to shed some old thinking, shed maybe some small faith to step into something of significance and influence. What is it that keeps you from that? What's your, your comfort food? <laughs> What's your, your, your comfort of choice? And there's nothing wrong with these things, friends, and you'll see that in a minute as I conclude, but, but what is it that could keep you from experiencing transformation? How can we live lives out from under the shadow of the giant of comfort and complacency? Now, I, I, just a note here. I brought in a lot of copies of this book because I think it would be a fantastic read for many of you in 2018. They're $10 each at the Resource Center. And you know what I, why I'm promoting it too? Is uh, Krista receives no money from this. 100% of the proceeds go to help children in Syria and Mozambique. I, I just love generous people like that that are thinking of the world and the gospel and, and not just uh, their own uh, bank account. So pretty neat. If you can pick one up, I think you'd be well worth your read this year. But let's hang our hook on how to answer this. I'm going to give you two things as we leave here today. The first is this. We need to remember, always remember what the point of life is. What is the point of life? Working hard to retire someday. Some of you did that and you retired and you realize now you're working really hard, but with no pay, right? <laughs> it's not everything people say it's going to be, right? Is it to work for the weekend and then, then find some sort of celebratory moment and whatever it might be, we lean into it? Man, you are made for so much more than that. So much more than that. We need to remember that the giant of comfort will always try to bring you back to religious comfort, some rit rit rituals and traditions, or he'll try to lead you into material comfort or even relational comfort. But the goal of our lives 
is transformation. And here's what happens out of transformation. As a result, we reflect Jesus' fame. Our goal is to bring fame to Jesus. When I'm changed, there's nothing like a changed life. If you knew me before Christ and you knew me now, you'd say, whoa, somebody did a big work there. And sometimes, you know, we, we give people credit for things that really God did in their life. And there's nothing like a changed life that brings glory to God and glory to the work of Jesus. That's the goal of your life. That is the goal of my life. That's the point of life. David's brothers completely miss this. They miss this. The armies of Israel miss this. We can miss this. And I don't want you to miss this. That they had food. They had tents. When their provisions were running low, they had people bringing them provisions. They had weapons. They had armor. But they couldn't get moving. They couldn't get going. David shows up. And he hears this giant. And he says, no giant's going to insult my God. No, no giant is going to talk about the God I love that way, the God I commune with that way, the God that hangs out with me that way, the God that loves me. And David steps into a place of discomfort. Not his will, but thine will. Discomfort. In order to bring glory to God, he got it. This 16-year-old kid got it. Life was not about him. It wasn't about his comfort. It was about the glory of God. And that giant was trying to rob God of glory. And he was having none of it. See, we're stumbling onto something that's very powerful in the Bible. In the book of Philippians, again, that same guy who wrote a lot of the letters in New Testament, Paul, he talks about living a radical life as a Christian. A life in which you consider others before yourself. Like, that's radical. That you would serve one another in love radical. And he'd say this in verse 5. Look at the language he chooses. He says, you must. Okay, does that sound like it's an option? Does that sound like it's like, hey, you might want to think about, hey, you might try, no, you must. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, don't worry, you get a pass completely on this. But if you're a follower of Jesus, better listen. He says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ had. And he goes on to tell what type of attitude Jesus had. That he humbled himself to become a man. Now, women, you know that must be very humble. It's a joke, but... It's, he humbled himself to become a man. He took on the very nature, it says, of a servant... And then it says, he obeyed the Father and went to the cross. So here's the question. Why? Why would Jesus humble himself to become a human? Why would he become the very nature a servant below others? Why would he do that? And then why would he obey the Father and die on the cross? Was it because he loved you? Was it because he wanted you, you're the very best for you? Well, yes and no. I mean, it resulted, his death was a demonstration of his great love for each human being. His death accomplished great things for our own welfare, changed our lives, transformed us. Instead, now when we are in Christ, we become brand new creatures in Christ Jesus. He rejuvenates our spirit and lives. It's incredible. But the Bible's very clear why Jesus did it. 
That's the fruit of what Jesus did. The Bible says he did it for the glory of God. He brought glory to the Father. It's very interesting. Here's the interesting thing for every one of us, even those of us who feel like, what can I do? Whenever we start lifting Jesus up and bringing glory to him, good things happen to people around us and happen to us. Now, it doesn't, I don't mean this in like everything gets better. I'm saying this. The fruit of it accomplishes incredible eternal significance in people around us. Listen, look at the life of David. Why did David take on Goliath? Now, was it because he wanted to free his people? Go Israel. I don't read that in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Was it because he's a 16-year-old guy and he's thinking like, you know, if I do this, the chicks are going to love me. No, that's not on the radar. What's on the radar is he sees a giant trying to rob God of glory and he says, enough. It was for the glory of God. He got it. Then the result of when he put God first and the glory of God first, the result was the children of Israel were freed. The Philistines were defeated. A great victory did happen. Incredible fruit came from the decision to put God first. See, Jesus would say it this way in the Bible. He would say, seek first my kingdom. Seek first my kingdom, and all these other things will be added to you. What are these other things? They're all the stuff that keeps you up at night. They're the things you do worry about that you shouldn't worry about. God says, listen, you seek me first. You seek me first. You lift up Jesus. You bring glory to him. All those things I'll get involved in, and I'll work them out. It's incredible how God operates. It's so simple, but it's so hard. So always remember the point of life is to bring glory to Jesus. And one of the best ways we do it is allowing the Holy Spirit to transform us and change us. Become like Larry the Lobster. When you're in the rock and the hard place, when you're stressed, when you're in discomfort, grow. Choose to grow in that moment. Don't go just looking for comfort. Then number two. Number two is this. Re always remember the long game. Man, this is important. The early followers of Jesus, after Jesus had ascended to heaven, it says the Holy Spirit fell on them in Acts chapter 2. And immediately the Spirit empowered them and propelled them out. Why? To share of the glory of Jesus to the world. See that whenever the Holy Spirit's at work, he moves us out, not in. Very interesting. Next week, Dr. Van's going to be teaching. He's going to start our series on conversations of the Holy Spirit. Pastor Keith and I and Dr. Van, we've been working on this for over a year because we really feel like it's going to be a significant series for our church. I hope you're going to get involved in one of our community groups. But you're going to see over and over that the Holy Spirit, when he gets involved in someone's life, he immediately gives them a heart for others. I say this because when you're around church for a long time, which I have, I've, like I was raised going to church. I don't know when I first started but I started before I could talk. Like, I've been in church a long time. And if you're not careful, you can begin to think that the most spiritually elite people or whatever are the people who worship the most enthusiastically or the people who pray the longest or the people who know the most Bible verses. But that's not it at all. You can clearly tell who has been with the Father because the Spirit inspires them towards those who don't know Jesus. 
on their agenda are people far from God all the time. Why? Because that is a primary agenda of God's. That's why Jesus came. That's why he empowers us by his spirit. The, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the work of the spirit is to empower us to witness. You'll see that in the weeks to come. It always moves us out. It always turns weird when it moves you in. And that's a whole different category, whole different line of thought. But here's the truth. And this is, you know, this is hard because I was thinking about this this week as I was remembering an author, a great Christian leader here in North America. And he wrote this. He said this. He said, the problem with most evangelical churches is that they're led by people who do not have one unsaved friend. Now, how could that be? Well, because when you've been a Christian long enough, you learn to surround yourself, and you need Christians in your life. And you surround yourself with people just like you. They might look different, but they have the same value system or whatever. And, you know, we need that. And it's, but it's easier, right? It's easier. Now, he's not talking about, I have a friend who lives in another nation that I pray for, or I have a friend who lives in another province. He's saying, a friend in your life. And then he goes on to say this. Every deacon and leader in a church should have one burning question on their hearts at every meeting. How is this church going to help me win my unsaved friend to Jesus? Why? Because that is the mission of the church. We gather to connect with each other, encourage one another, and build each other up to hear from God's word, to hear from God's spirit. We gather for that. That's essential, but always for a reason— to go out. <laughs> That's the mission. That's what we're to be about. That's what the Holy Spirit smiles on. And, you know, to be honest, I've been a pastor 25 years. I had air when I started pastoring. <laughs> I met someone last night and they said, you did my wedding 17 years ago and you had hair in our pictures. <laughs> I said, get out. <laughs> Over the course of 25 years, I've learned a lot from pastoring and you know, Pastor Keith and I were joking about this last night even. You know, it's interesting being a pastor. Some of you may have been, many of you may not have been. But when you're a pastor, you know what's interesting? Everybody knows how a church should run. It's true. Everybody has an idea of what church should look like. And you know, one side of that is wonderful, and I'll tell you why. Because it means they care. They care about their church. They love their church. They meant God in their church. They raised their children in their church. They have a way of church running, and they love it. And it's wonderful. And people often give you unsolicited suggestions, which is good. Sometimes feedback is so important. It helps us because nobody leads perfectly. We are all flawed. So it's wonderful to get feedback. But every once in a while, I'll meet someone, somebody who's known God for a long time, and their suggestions come with an edge. An edge of like, this is the way it has to be. And even an edge of anger. And sometimes, you know, I listen to it and I'm dumbfounded. I'll be honest. I'll tell you what goes on in my mind when I, get, when I hear that. Because I, I'm, I'm sometimes dumbfounded in this regard. I'm, it's sobering to me because I realize I'm just a hair away from being as lost as the Pharisees. All of us are. Check your thoughts. Check your conversations. Make sure you're bringing glory to God. Because here's the truth about transformation and change in each of our lives, friends. God doesn't save us to save us from the world. He leads us right back into it with the sword of the Spirit. 
He leads us into it with the sword of the Spirit and a mission in hand. Look at the words of Jesus. Hey, don't take my words for it, because, you know, who, what do I know? But Jesus said in John 9, verse 4, he said this, We must quickly, urgency, carry out the tasks assigned to us. Everyone here has tasks assigned to them. Everyone here. You think, what is my role? Everyone has tasks assigned to us. He says, we must quickly carry out the tasks assigned to us by who? The one who sent us. The night is coming, when, and then no one can work. I mean, these are sobering words. These are words from, you know, comfy Jesus. And Jesus says, whoa, life is short, friends. You'll blink, and it'll be done. Carry out the task that I assigned to you while you can, because there will come a time when you can't. And here's what was missing in David's brothers in the armies of Israel. See, Jesus' words are so life-giving to me because he is helping me remember to play the long game and not the short game. The short game will be more about me. The long game will be about his plan. Because here's the truth. Those soldiers in 1 Samuel chapter 17, David's brothers in 1 Samuel chapter 17, I believe they shared a common regret at the end of their lives. They wasted 40 days standing on a hill. They wasted 40 days of their lives listening to a taunting giant. They had the power of God with them. They could have moved forward if they wanted to, but they didn't. They chose comfort over discomfort. They chose to waste their days instead of claim their days, friends. Yeah, I, you know, I, I often get a chance to talk to my wife, Shelly, about some of my messages as they're coming up. And this one I wrote on a plane flying between Uganda and, or no, Ethiopia and India. And I, I was just one of those moments where I just felt the Holy Spirit prompting me. And I was just writing away as fast as I could type. And I'm not a fantastic typer. But every once in a while, I get a chance to process it with my wife, and we just chat. And you know, to be honest with you, as we look back, we're at that stage in life where our kids are ready to move on. And, did you hear that, guys? No. <laughs> no, we love them. We love them. <laughs> but, you know, you start to take stock of your life. And some days, we look at it, and we realize, how many times have we said, someday? I mean, someday, we'll take that step of faith. Someday, we'll give more. Someday, we'll obey more. Someday, and you know, to be honest, as we look at it, we realize often it's been the giant of fear that kept us from taking that step. To be honest, it's often been the giant of comfort. Get us out of this situation, God. Help us, leaning back into areas of comfort. Sometimes, we've just flat out lived like we would have forever not realizing that the night is coming, quickly. Friends, don't let the giant of comfort cause you to avoid God's best for you. Some of you are young adults and teens, and you're trying to decide the direction of your life. Take a chapter from, from the rest of us who might be a little older, and let me encourage you, pray. Don't just make a plan. Don't just get excited about something and go down a path that you may regret in life. Don't just start a career. Start a calling. 
Be called to something by God's Spirit. Allow Him to ignite something in your heart. I know I'm not talking idyllically. I know there's practicalities in life. But friends, lean on God on those key moments of decisions. You know, I was thinking this week, I've known some of you for 17 years. I showed up here in January 2000. A kid with hair. And you know, I'm, I'm just like that guy. I have this, I love this church. I love you so much. And I love people who are far from God so much. I'm the same kid. But 17 years will do things to you. Pastoring well. I've been Larry the Lobster more times than I care to be, have been, and so have you. I've had moments where I've had to not go into the crevice of rock, but into the cleft of his hand to allow him to hide me there. As the hard and painful work of shedding the shell of small thinking and selfish thinking needed to happen so I could grow. You know what? And I can say this with confidence today in my life that my heart for God and his kingdom has never been more certain than it is now. I've had the privilege of knowing Jesus for decades. I'm willing to be a little uncomfortable so that others can have that same privilege. See, our lives are so quick. It's like a match, quickly lit and easily extinguished in life. The, God, the giant of comfort will try to keep you from serving and giving and living and sacrificing. And if he can get you to live just a good life, that's good because we'll live a small life. But God has so much more than that for each of us. Look at what Paul says in Ephesians. He says this. He says, for we are God's handiwork. Every one of you are God's handiwork. And created in Christ Jesus, what were we created to do? To do good works. To bring glory to Jesus, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Confession moment. I've had pockets in my life where I felt like, oh, I already did this. Uh, you know, I was on this trip. Uh, my son Caleb went with me for two weeks. Uh, Pastor Bill Morrow, part of our church. Pastor Bill is in his 70s. And we went, you know, we're driving 10 hours of what they call roads <laughs> to a Sudanese refugee camp. And you pull up there, wow. You know, but beautiful to see Erdo, and which we support in the Canadian Food Grains Bank, food just keeping people from starvation. Just amazing to see the church at work there. Blew me away. I pull up when we got to Bangladesh. We headed north and went to the Rohingya uh, camp, and we're a million refugees, 40,000 of them orphans. And in the middle of that, I see this well that we drew, we did through our cafe proceeds. And you saw the church mobilized and doing something significant because God's prepared in advance good works for them to do. God's prepared it for us, and he's prepared it for you. Be a lobster. Be prepared to be a little uncomfortable at times. It's our calling. It's the way we grow faith. One of the most significant moments and conversations I had along the way, and likely Bill and Caleb would say the same thing, we were in Ethiopia, and we had the, and I say privilege, and I mean it, the absolute privilege to meet with a man who had been a priest 
in a church movement there that is not really church. It's, it put aside the Bible hundreds of years before, and now there's witchcraft in it and everything else. And he talked about when he was younger, he was a priest in this church, and it's a large church in Ethiopia, and he's a priest in it, and someone, he's walking down the street, and someone stopped and put a Bible out the window and drove away. It was a drive-by, right? <laughs> and he said, I'd never held a copy of the Bible in my hand before. And he said, I went home and I read it. And he said, I don't know what happened, just stuff begins to change in me. So much so that the other priests began to point fingers at me and said, you've become one of them. And he said, he didn't even know what they meant. What do you mean become one of them? You've become one of them that follow Jesus. And he said, I don't know what I am. All I know is what my life was like before and what it's like now. I, I choose this, transformation. And then he begins to tell us about 18 times being imprisoned because he wouldn't stop telling others about Jesus. And his work giving out 20,000 Bibles one at a time to these other priests with his phone number so he can answer questions. And then he tells us, man, you know, I'm a Canadian kid. What do I know? Then he tells us about the three times and the way he was horrifically beaten. And in the middle of it, he starts smiling. And I'm thinking, what's, what's going on? But you could feel the Holy Spirit in the room. You could see, you could feel God's presence in the room because he kept talking about Jesus and how great he was. But in the middle of it, when he's talking about the worst that he went through, he smiles and he says this, but the grace of God was so strong. See, friends, the giant of comfort will try to distract you from transformation and giving glory to Jesus and living the life that he has for you. But the God of all comfort, he comes into our discomfort and he provides strength and grace to carry us through anything, anything we face. Let's pray. Make sure you don't miss a message by subscribing to this podcast. All creative content and production for this podcast is provided by the One Church Creative Team.